the Recovery Executive Podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, CEO of Circle Social Inc., a strategic marketing and consulting firm for addiction treatment and behavioral health. Today, we are speaking with Manny Neeson. He is the COO of Shadow Mountain Recovery, and he is at least my favorite uh, COO in the space. He is just phenomenal at what he does, and so I'm excited to talk about operations today with him. But before we do that, let's hear from our great sponsor, Soberlink. Hundreds of treatment programs are already using technology to improve patient outcomes. Is yours one of them? If not, it's time to upgrade with Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system. Soberlink keeps AUD clients engaged and instills accountability to improve your clients' outcomes. But don't take my word for it. See for yourself by signing up for a risk-free, exclusive pilot program. Just email info at soberlink.com. That's info, I-N-F-O at soberlink, S-O-B-E-R-L-I-N-K.com, and mention the Recovery Executive Podcast to get started. All right, so we're jumping in. We're talking with Manny. Manny has excellent experience. You know, like I said, he's very, very good at what he does, but he's also had the opportunity to work in traditional healthcare before he moved into the field of addiction treatment. He worked at Elements Behavioral and went through the good times and the bad times with them. And then he also, at Shadow Mountain Recovery, as he'll relate in the conversation, uh, basically came into a turnaround situation where the company was struggling with uh, losing a lot of money. And then they had to turn around in very short order, which they did successfully. And Shadow Mountain Recovery is doing very well these days. So he'll talk us through some of that experience as well as what he does as a CEO from the operations perspective to be successful. How, how do you look at and manage your teams? How do you create a good culture? And what does it mean to make a successful organization based on strengths that's driven from how the organization is set up for success rather than maybe capitalizing on just what we think to be a potential opportunity out there, uh, which is something that I think a a number of providers in the space tend to make a mistake with. So happy to have him on and let's jump into the conversation. Hey, Manny, really appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I've uh, had the uh, honor to be able to, you know, listen to several of your podcasts. So I'm really excited to be able to talk. Yeah, definitely excited to have you on. You know, as you know, uh, as I tell everybody, you're one of the best CEOs in the industry. So you have a lot to share here. Thank you. Uh, first, obviously, why don't you just tell us a bit about, you know, who you are and Shadow Mountain. Sure. Yeah. So Manny Antian, um, I'm the chief operating officer for Shadow Mountain Recovery Centers. I've been with Shadow Mountain for a little bit over three years. Um, started back um, kind of in a period where we were, uh, poised at growth, um, and we had a very phenomenal team, I would say, uh, that was there to really address um, not only our ability to scale up on the admission side, uh, marketing side, as well as uh, just general strategic, um, but, you know, we, we got into a, a position where we realized that the organization needed a little bit more, um, you know, I would say redesign uh, to ensure that it could, uh, in fact, grow. Um, so we've had quite a bit of change, but it's been very exciting change as we've transitioned from really an organization that was geared on your just traditional, um, a treatment center and really nothing to speak much about it other than that to now an organization that really looks at quality outcomes and, um, really looks at developing teams that are, um, uh, oriented to finding uh, creative solutions for the patients, uh, the communities that we serve. Um, so now we have uh, locations in New Mexico, one uh, inpatient residential detox uh, and, and detox center in Albuquerque, as well as our outpatient treatment center uh, that's in Albuquerque as well. And then we have a gender-specific male uh, residential program that is in Taos, New Mexico at 8,500 feet elevation. It's a lovely location. And then we have our Ripple Ranch uh, Recovery Center, which is in Spring Branch, Texas, which is about 
30 minutes north of San Antonio where our corporate office is. And we really try to look for um, developing uh, organizations that are servicing a large population not too far uh, from that population and then ultimately building outpatient centers, uh, which is what we're actually in the process of doing as well in our San Antonio market. So some really exciting things. So maybe before we uh, talk a little bit further about what's happening at Shadow, before you worked there, you were over at Elements Behavioral, and then you actually have a traditional healthcare background. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. So um, maybe uh, unlike the traditional um, provider that's in this space specifically, um, I have a discipline in, um, uh, ma- with a master's in health administration from George Washington University. Um, so my focus uh, was working in emergency rooms and really looking at ways that we can improve uh, outcomes there. Uh, we uh, did many things like providing scribes or patient experience or, uh, coordinators and also looking at policies and procedures that were in place uh, to ultimately improve reimbursement. Uh, for the facilities and also find a way uh, that we could allow um, doctors to better utilize the electronic medical records and still have a very uh, patient-centric experience uh, in providing care. Um, So I worked uh, in San Antonio uh, for a couple hospital uh, systems as well as uh, several um, uh, family practice centers uh, that were in um, Louisville as well as in South Carolina. So quite a bit of a stretch, but the focus was uh, ultimately trying to integrate uh, EMR systems, finding ways to efficiently document um, and looking at ways that we can increase, increase the overall uh, patient experience um, uh, for the facilities uh, that, that the patients were going to. Right. And then you, like I said, you worked for Elements for a bit. And then when you came into Shadow, Shadow was actually basically going through a turnaround at that point. And it was at that conjunction of where the industry was really going through a lot of change. Um, I think people had started to realize that the old models weren't working. And then we kind of got connected right after you guys had done that. But you guys really did an amazing job, you know, in a fairly short amount of time to revamp the entire business model. So maybe just talk us through that experience a little bit. Right. And, and I think I'll start by just adding the, the Elements experience. I mean, Elements, everybody knows that story, uh, right? It was a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, you know, network of centers, and they did a great job. And I think that um, it's very challenging sometimes navigating and balancing uh, cash flow and, and ensuring that um, you, you have the right strategic uh, mission and you have the right balance of the network and um, that can help you have a stable um, uh, kind of organization that you need to provide the care long term. And those were some good experience to really see what, uh, you know, elements went through. I was there during a period where they were at their top and then ultimately kind of led to the point where they had to uh, break up and kind of uh, consolidate to ensure that they're able to still provide care. And obviously, they're a different organization today. Um, but, you know, I was able to learn quite a bit from that experience and understanding uh, how the industry was shifting. Uh, when we, you know, when I moved over to uh, Shadow Mountain, um, like I said, we had a team that, you know, it's all important to make sure you have the right people in the right place and um, and and talent. Uh, there's a lot of it, but is you know having people that uh, potentially are not willing to look at not only what are they doing today that has an impact on their today's missions, but uh, you know, two years from now, three years from now, that can be very devastating, especially in a very volatile space like this, um, especially over the last five years. Uh, so, you know, we had a situation that's not uncommon uh, for many, uh, you know, providers that are in the substance abuse space. It was either, you know, we continue to do what we, you know, status quo and just keep burning through cash and not really having a stable foundation, uh, or you have to make uh, the really hard decision to, uh, potentially burn off uh, some uh, some human capital, and and with the focus of reconsolidating and looking for a long term growth. Uh, so we had a financial situation where um, you know we were essentially just spending more than we were making, right? Um, and it had to do with a lot of our inability to connect with payers uh, and have uh, the meaningful conversations and. Those are some of the challenges, you know, walking into this role uh, with this organization that made it, I would say, pretty fun uh, because we, we had no existing payer relations 
um, whatsoever. And so when we, you know, approached the payers at that time, hey, you know, these are the issues. Here's our AR. How do we find a way to, um, you know, either get a network or find uh, some more strategic ways to um, improve the cash flow? Uh, it, it was it was really hard to have that conversation because they were, you know, they they had not had an existing relationship with our organization. So, you know, we had uh, to close a few centers. And we ultimately had to shave off $3 million worth of overhead uh, within a month and a half. And, you know, yeah, yeah that's really difficult. Um, and so, you know, but we were able to, to do that. And the one thing that I always love about that story, even though that never, it never sounds like something that you would ever want to do in an organization, we were able to do that and not terminate anybody. So we were able to find other partners that were uh, maybe better strategically placed in their respective markets um, and at a position to uh, acquire our service line and optimize it. And we didn't have to terminate anybody. And that that to me was, you know, the great thing, because we're always making these really hard decisions, but we were doing right by people and ensuring that they had a job and we weren't. Um, you know, irresponsible on that, on that point and just leaving them unemployed. So, you know, we did that and then allowed us to really focus on what we do very well. We had a lot of different service lines. We had sober livings, outpatient, we had residential, we had detox. Uh, but the one thing that I always challenge uh, any organization that I'm a part of, especially when I come in as a new person, uh, is what do we do very well? And what do we do not so well? And how do we get to a point where we can say, we do the, we do a good job at this and we can build upon this. And we also have the synergy, the synergy between our platforms to support our growth and our success. And so that was our focus, really looking back at what we do well and having those uh, very honest, you know, questions and self-reflection and then ultimately executing and, and optimizing what we do and, and finding out what our mission, vision, and value is. Um, and so, we were able to do that and consolidate down to, you know, what we have today. And the, the outcome is we're not just providing services just to do it and then get a check. Uh, it's, we're doing it to really impact and change the lives of the individuals that we work with and ultimately find a solution for our communities. Um, we were one of those, uh, you know, we were a destination um, philosophy kind of uh, organization where we were bringing people across uh, state borders. Um, you know, I would say around 60% of the people were come from out of state. But now today, we're more uh, positioned to that 97% um, are actually from the state in which they live. In. And, and why that's important to us, uh, you know, philosophically, is because it allows us to really develop a, a, a treatment plan and ultimately an aftercare plan uh, that's, in my view, going to be as integrative as possible uh, to not only address their substance abuse issues, their mental health issues, but also teaming up with their primary, primary care providers and or other medical services that they need within their local community. And that's important uh, to ensure that we uh, address all of the needs of the individual um, you know, simultaneously. That's great. And yeah, I think I just want to highlight that because we talk about this all the time, but that fact that you focused on your strengths and what you are good at and that you tailored your programming and, and your overall operations to align around that, you know, rather than just being your cookie cutter addiction treatment provider, you said, hey, this is what we're good at. This is what we need to focus on. And this is how we're going to help differentiate ourselves in the market, uh, which is just so essential to to success in general. And you guys have clearly seen you know, the benefits that have come from that. Absolutely. With the kind of situation that you walked into when you were bleeding money and then, you know, looking to shave off 3 million or, or what was it? $3 million in a month and yeah. a half. Did you yeah. Say? yeah. <laughs> a, a uh, ultimate overhead. Yeah. 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 Can you maybe talk to people about what were some areas that you started looking at? Because this does happen quite a bit. We go in and there's just money being spent everywhere, right, with a variety of providers. So what were some kind of areas that you honed in on to say, okay, this is what we need to start looking at to see what we can shave off where? Right. Good question. Uh, you know, I think it, it goes back to that whole, you know, what what is what are we good at and uh, what do we really focus on? Um, when we decided uh, to make this very, you know, very rough transition, uh, it was really looking at, you know, what kind of organization are we going to be? Are we going to be an organization that's driven uh, by, oh, well, we have these bells and whistles and things that maybe 
seem important to the patient. Um, maybe we have, you know, acupuncture or anything like that, uh, or massages or, or all these other bells and whistles that are very costly um, and certainly add an element of, of the experience factor. Um, but if you're transitioning to become more of an in-network provider, your cost margins are not going to be, you know, as significant or great as they used to be. So we really looked at um, you know, the clinical aspect of our care and, and said, well, if the clinical aspect of our care is really important to us, then probably the most important asset that we can have are, are the people that we have uh, and the, the clinical uh, curriculums that we're able to develop with our uh, clinical teams. Uh, so we, we immediately looked at some of the more, uh, I would say, luxury aspects of the, the treatment experience um, and, and shaved those immediately. Um, and then we looked at, um, you know, the facilities, like I said, that were not in markets where we were poised to be successful in the first place. And we were just looking at, you know, the fact that maybe it's detox and that's, you know, generates high dollars, but maybe we weren't able to you know, develop an outpatient connection or a residential that would then provide that continuum that's really beneficial for people. Um, so, you know, between that, looking at the, you know, uh, the need versus wants aspect of it and really trying to hone in on a clinical product, um, you know, we shaved off quite a bit of uh, the excessive, um, you know, outings or, or experiences like that and really just try to say that what we're marketing to people now is not that you're going to come and have a vacation and maybe have this unrealistic experience that maybe you can't continue with once you get home, but instead we're going to give you very, very strong and proven uh, clinical tools uh, that will stay with you long term and ultimately lead and be a big part of your success in the long run uh, for these patients. And so, you know, that's I think that was a big shift for us. And we had to do it uh, not only because we were you know, changing from banking on just out of network um, to now looking at how do we become uh, true partners with payers and be, um, you know, be part of the solution and find ways that, you know, the payers um, have found maybe some issues or areas or, or needs in their communities and finding uh, ways that we can fill that, um, fill that uh, void. And just a question, Mark, when you shifted that approach and you shifted that focus, did you notice a difference in the type of patients that were being attracted to your facilities? Yeah, I, we did. And we also, um, without a surprise, we also had less AMAs once we worked through that. We, we, were, we were finding that we were having patients that would come just because of maybe the, the bells and the whistles, um, you know, some of those extras. Uh, so they weren't truly committed uh, to starting the hard work uh, that is recovery um, and long-term recovery. So they, they really just wanted to have, uh, I would say, a vacation away from um, whatever experience and not really wanting to get into some of the clinical needs, um, you know, that were underlying uh, and maybe the reason why they kept on uh, relapsing or maybe needing these services. Um, so, and, and then what we found is we, we had a new uh, demographic population that came in that truly maybe went through multiple different uh, treatment experiences, but they, they now are coming to us because we're saying, hey, this is what we focus on. We focus on trauma. We can address this. You know, how can we help you? And um, I would say that it reduced our AMA uh, rates because we had people that were invested in uh, the, the program. We also had um, you know, some success on the marketing side where we were seeing less of or having the need uh, less of, of having to sell our product. And instead, once we worked with our partners in our communities and our referral, referral agents, um, you know, say, people come to us knowing exactly what they're looking for. Uh, and that makes it a lot easier. It made it a lot easier for our admissions team. It makes it a lot easier for our clinical team uh, because we have just such a beautiful uh, milieu uh, balance uh, that, that that's just productive and is just poised and focused on, um, you know, healing. And, and that's that's really fun. That, that makes the experience really fun because, you know, the majority of people that come to us, they, they're really they understand they're at a really low point in their life, but they're very optimistic about what, what experience they can see with us and what, what you know, effort they have to put in to ultimately find the success that they're looking for. Yeah, I love that you shared all that. You just kind of have a couple comments that I think I want to make on it. 
is obviously this is something we talk about all the time and this is something that we push with a, a lot of clients or potential clients is this need to focus on clinical care and differentiators but that it's not just about attracting more patients it's about attracting the right kinds of patients and the operational overhead that's saved by it you don't have the clinician burnout you don't have the cost of paying for the marketing and then having someone admit to the center and then ama you know so quickly because they're just looking for for basically like a pool <laughs> or a stay in the mountains <laughs> yeah. you know um, and so there's all this operational cost that you're sh saved and then you know your comments about the payers is very much in line with that you know i talk with a couple of the cmos at the larger payers and you know i won't say which one but you know the last conversation i had with one of them was like he's like i hate equine therapy <laughs> he's like he's like i don't like paying for it right. um right. because it, there's just no clinical efficacy studies that i know of and so whenever i have someone come to me with that or a provider with that i automatically I'm less willing to work with them, you know? Right. And so when you focus as a provider on the quality of your clinical care, and then you don't have these bells and whistles in there just because you think that they're maybe attracting people, um, it does help out not just on attracting the right patients, but also with the relationship with the payers. That's correct. And, and ultimately we, we want to find a way as a provider um, to not look at the payers as, this, you know, big bad wolf, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, I would say, you know, for this industry, we maybe have not done enough uh, to provide evidence as to what we do and how we do it. Um, and, and I think if we find, um, you know, a way to uh, position our organization and have the same um, ultimate business objectives, uh, there, there's really some, you know, fruitful outcomes that can certainly be developed, um, you know, from relationships with the payer and ultimately with the community. Yeah. You know, and, and also from that marketing perspective, you know, like I know when we look at your guys' data, right, you have a lot of people that are coming that are searching specifically for Shadow Mountain Recovery, which speaks to the fact that there's a, a well-known aspect of quality to the care that you're providing your communities. And so a lot of people are finding you because they're looking for you, not because they're looking for, you know, a drug rehab near me or addiction treatment near me. And right. that speaks a lot to the value of building out very differentiated, very community engaged programming, because then that lowers your marketing costs. Right. And you have people that are looking That's for correct. you rather than then when they call, like, how easy is that to convert? Right. Because they were looking right. for you already. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it makes it fun, like I said, for all areas of the organization. And I mean, I, I think the way you have to. Um, you know, think of it as a provider, we have the philosophy where it's, you know, our best marketing dollar is in our outcome, right? And so if we have a patient that is able to come through and have a good experience, be compliant, and ultimately, you know, take the, you know, the necessary steps to really improve their experience, and then they go out into the community and they share their experience. And we let them be the, you know, the talker. We're not saying anything that, you know, we, we, we wish we did. You know, this is someone who went through the experience and can certainly articulate it very well. Uh, that's the better dollar for us uh, than anything else. And I think most organizations should look at it that way uh, because the, the, the best outcome, the best product, the best selling point is really the patients that you, you, you work with and the families that you work with and, and ultimately the successful outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the marketing ends up supporting that and that ends up being such a primary driver, you know, and, you know, just so you don't have to toot your own horn, I'll toot it for you. Right. But your sure. clinical outcomes that you guys just got back were excellent. Right. I mean, the, the the data that you guys got back compared to national averages is far above and beyond what people right. see in terms of, you know, reduced reduction of suicidality, co-occurring disorders, treatment completion, addiction severity. Right. You know, and so I think right. it speaks to all this that you're talking about by focusing on clinical care. It allows you to provide really good experiences that are validated by objective statistical data. And, absolutely. you know, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going into a little bit more of the specifics on the COO role, like you're very on top of everything that happens in the organization, you know, but what are some systems and processes that you find um, essential to running a good organization? Right. Um so one of the, the areas I always say that I, I focus on is uh, managerial financing. Um, and is, is, uh, 
I guess not as it's not fun to talk about the financial side of running a business, especially when you're in healthcare, because my ultimate wish is that I never even had to gain a dollar to be able to change someone's life. What great, you know, ability is that to be able to, you know, rebuild lives. Um, but, you know, we really have um, the ability um, because of our data and our KPI that we that we uh, pull in uh, to really understand how every dollar is gained um, and how it's going to be uh, used for the patients that come in. Um, and I think, you know, having and setting up those systems while it's very uh, laborious um, and, and <laughs> sometimes difficult to get the buy-in uh, from the rest of the team, uh, it's really done, a, you know, a lot of um, a lot of the, the taking a lot, it's done, taken a lot of the, the, the hard steps off of what I have to do on daily. So having those KPIs and having that dashboard to see financially how much we're going to uh, be making for uh, an engagement uh, with a with a client, um, and then ultimately seeing what our costs are at our respective centers, that has really allowed me to have a, you know an easier way to manage our relationships. And then you know giving that data to our executive directors at our facilities and allowing them uh, to do their part and to understand um, you know the decisions what we're making um, in regards to our financial relationships with uh, respective clients, um, as well as um, you know the services that we offer. Um, you know, while people are in our care. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, you said it right. Uh, being a COO is, is, um, is a challenging job because you're essentially wearing different hats, ranging from dealing with your financial relationships, uh, payer negotiations for in-network rates, or if you have a slow payer, finding out what's going on there, um, dealing with admissions, your marketing plans and objectives. Uh, there and, and ultimately your your overall strategy, uh, you know, six months, a year from now, two years from now. Um, but I, you know, I I try to use data uh, as a key principle for me to be able to make those tough decisions and ultimately uh, provide value in, in what I do uh, daily. So maybe if you're willing to share some of the specifics, are are there like you know some top level KPIs that you're checking daily or weekly um, that have really helped you just stay on top of everything? Yeah, so I mean we we have um, we we're able to we were able to work with a, a great company. Um, it's called uh, Canary Soft, um, and they provide quite a bit of visibility uh, for us. Uh, financially. So financially, it allows us to know what our average rate of collection is uh, on a daily uh, reconciliation basis. So we're not, you know, thinking, okay, we're bringing a patient, they're worth, you know, we have $20,000 on that relationship. We're not doing it that way. We really look at um, our historical data, our AR, what we've been paid, how quickly we've been paid by each payer, and it rolls it all into um, calculating what an average daily rate would be uh, for a given patient, but then also blend it as a system. And so I'm able to look at that, and that's, that allows me to really uh, ensure that the work, the hard work that we're doing today, we're going to, you know, ensure that we're going to get paid for it, you know, 30 days, 60 days, or whatever the uh, revenue cycle uh, will be. So I use that as a very helpful dashboard. I also, um, you know, we use the Kitu um, EMR, uh, but we also use the uh, the Kipu CRM. And that's been very helpful. They have a lot of great data um, that allows us to kind of monitor our admissions performance um, and also our BOB uh, timing, seeing how long does it take from uh, the point of engagement uh, to the point of getting someone in. Uh, and, and that allows us to be critical of one another because it tracks the individual person uh, that's doing that utilization management. It tracks the individual admission person and allows us to really understand how they perform um, and, and it allows us to do some continuous education as well. Uh, so because of that, you know, we have our pulse, we have a, our hands on every single aspect of our organization in regards to, uh, you know, from the first engagement with someone uh, to the point of, you know, financially, financially reconciling uh, what, you know, was the revenue for that uh, specific relationship. And those are things that I check daily. Um, you know, those are, I, I would say, some of the um, the meaningful tools that we have um, and it allows us to, you know, ultimately plan and strategically kind of make some you know, good pivoting if we need to throughout a month, any given month. Yeah. You know, I think my comments on that would be, you know, sometimes when we go and work with a provider, all they have is like just 
of call volume data, right? Or maybe it's broken down by channel or something. But you know, you guys have your tagging set up, and like you said, you can go in per uh, call rep and see how they're doing. You know, you've got it broken down by call, call per channel, bob, admission, right? So that allows you all these insights to say, okay, well. Are we converting to VOBs at the normal rate? Well, maybe, maybe not. So maybe there's a marketing issue there. All right, you know, VOBs and call volume are, are fine, but they're not coming to admissions. Well, what's happening in that gap? And that granular aspect to the data and the tracking that you have in place, it's exactly where it needs to be. I think in my opinion, it's not too granular, right? It doesn't get too crazy, like down by a keyword or something, which I've seen sometimes too. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah. yeah, you know, I think that's the way to do it. And it's something that you guys have set up. And I think you in particular have set up, you know, that um, other providers could definitely learn from. Yeah. And, and it's, and, you know, I've, I've also been uh, very open with um, any providers that are out there. This isn't stuff that I, you know, that I hoard and say, oh, we are our special sauce. We really want and understand that there's enough people out there in the United States that need services. And I want, um, you know, I want this industry to be in a position to be able to provide that care. And so, you know, yeah, we, we're, we've done a good job, I think, collectively as a, you know, the team organization. Um, and, you know, it's, it's taken a lot of work, but once you get those things in place and you have those KPIs and those, those data, um, you know, points, uh, you can really have a fun experience in really analyzing the performance on a daily basis as well as a quarterly basis as well. So, it, you know, th those have been very helpful for us as an organization to have, um, you know, meaningful conversations and ultimately to have actionable data that then we can make, um, you know, different, uh, you know, shifts if necessary uh, to uh, be successful. So I think two things, you have a lot of data coming in. Um, and so in your role as COO, obviously you have, a, you have a lot of oversight, whether it's direct or kind of a dotted line, you've got the call center, you've got marketing, you've got business development, you've got clinical, you've got the individual facilities, you know, so first, can you kind of speak to how do you use that data to help you prioritize where your focus needs to be? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard question. Uh, that's a very hard question, but you know, what I would say it boils down to, and, and in all of my leadership calls that I have, uh, it's always about our clinical product. Um, if we can look at ensuring that we're uh, marketing uh, stuff that we actually provide, right? Uh, yeah. Ensuring that then clinically we're providing that level of care and then being able to, um, you know, while people are in treatment, we also collect data um, on maybe some of the opportunities we have. We ask, uh, you know, the clients, what has your experience uh, been like thus far? And we are, you know, always uh, looking at ways that we can improve that. Um, because if we can't care for the individuals that are in our care today, then like I said, that's going to be your marketing, um, you know, uh, person, if you will, that's going to go out there in the community and say what kind of experience they had. So, um, you know, being able to, you know, monitor and track, you know, the patients and really understanding how clinically they've improved, um, that's been helpful. We, we ended up using or working with Vista uh, research. And I, I think they do a great job at um, having um, an inpatient kind of resource and outpatient that allows you to just obtain the necessary data to see how you're performing. Um, and then, you know, if you're doing clinically a good job, then it comes down to the financial relationships, um, ensuring that we are engaging in um, financial relationships that are going to allow us to succeed, keep the lights on, keep people, uh, you know, fed and, and uh, paid. Uh, that that's important to me too, and that's where you know the CanarySoft uh, tool uh, comes in. So between you know CanarySoft looking at the financial aspect, and then Vista uh, looking at our outcomes while they're in our care and outside, uh, those are the two areas that I really focus on. Um, I always um, think of leadership as you you have different styles. Uh, what my style is more of a transformational leader. I would say I really look at people. Um, being in front of me that understand their role, understand what success looks like, and then ultimately uh, supporting them in ways uh, that they can uh, meet those metrics. And, and I think that's been helpful for me because I, if you're running around as a COO and you're wearing a lot of hats and you're having to just put out a lot of fires and tell people how they need to do their job, that's not a fun experience. And that wouldn't be really 
um, success to me. And, and that doesn't really, you know, define something that is scalable, if you will. And so, you know, what I've been blessed with is to have really uh, talented people in front of me that have come from different uh, parts of this space and not from this space at all and have and brought their experience to ultimately develop a culture um, that is, um, you know, fostered on growth and uh, respect and hard work. Uh, we are all accountable and understand what we need to do to succeed every day. Uh, and that's what makes it a really fun experience because we can share our little wins uh, daily and ultimately look uh, forward to, you know, good months and good quarters. So, you know, on those particular experiences, maybe you could share like a specific insight just to kind of give people some grounded context. You know, what, what was an example of maybe a, a data point that kind of came across your table and that you acted on to um, improve the performance of a particular business department or facility or just the organization overall? Sure. Yeah. So we, we had a, a very interesting situation where, um, you know, we were our census was good. And if you're, I'm sure everybody knows, if you have people in your in your beds, in theory, you hope that things are great. You're just like, yeah, you know, things are kind of uh, gelling. Uh, but you know, when it came to the end of the month, um, or that, the end of actually a couple of weeks, really, it was it was financially not looking right. And what we realized was that we 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 had too many uh, lower levels of care in our population and we're not you know allocating it right and basically we had php uh that were you know taking up some of our other higher level of care um you know uh space and so you know with the tools that we we have uh, specifically through canary saw you know i was able to you know meet with our executive director um see what the problem was on the revenue side and then say, you know, let's look at how do we find a solution in transitioning and then opening up um, our beds. Um, and then it also allows, allowed us and informed us to also increase bed uh, capacity uh, for detox. Um, so by doing those things, we then saw uh, more individuals that were having a smoother intake. Uh, we had the higher level of care revenues that were generating and allowing us to hit our goals. But without, you know, having that visibility, you know, like I said, naturally, I would say, well, okay, I have somebody in the bed. That's great. You know, we don't, we're, we're full, if you will. Um, but, you know, not being full is one thing, but making sure that the relationship, um, you know, allows you to hit your financial objectives and goals is another conversation. So utilizing um, the, you know, the Canary Soft KPI, I was able to really just look at the problem, find it quickly, and then address it within uh, you know, a few days, and then immediately we saw our revenue uh, kind of increase. And that's something that, you know, as an operator, you have to pay attention to um, because, you know, you get, I get caught up in the fact that if we're able to provide care, like, that's great, you know, but we also have to balance uh, the, you know, the intimate relationship between, yes, we're here to provide care, but we also have to run an organization as a private organization. Yeah, that's a great example because obviously if you're running higher levels of care like detox or residential, you know, you have a certain cost structure and you have a certain level of overhead that is not going to be the same as what you would necessarily use for PHP or IOP. So if you have that level of care in the same facilities, you know, you still have the same overhead, but you have less reimbursement. Correct. And, and that's why I think a lot of providers are challenged by providing multiple levels of care is, you know, they're sharing overhead or they're sharing facilities, but really those those are slightly different business models that have to be worked out, you know, across the different levels. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great examples there on things that have been working really well. Are you willing to share any particular, you know, mistakes you've made over the course of the career that um, people might be able to learn from? Yeah, I, I, you know, um, you know, I think it, any any person that would say they'd never made mistakes and they're always successful and they have a green thumb, then they're not being honest with themselves. <laughs> you know, I've, 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 uh, you know, when I think of the mistakes that I've made, one of the areas that I uh, really focus on is, uh, I said it before, is culture, and ensuring that we have the right champions on the, the front line to ensure that we maintain a culture uh, that's um, conducive to obviously good patient care, um, good and happy employees, um, and ultimately an exciting, um, you know, uh, concert of just, just 
services that are being offered and, and ultimately having good outcomes. Um, I, I've I've always really looked at you know trying to see the best in people, but sometimes you have individuals that are in your organization that can totally derail um, everything that you're trying to accomplish. And when you have different sites, it's sometimes hard to really understand because you can only spend so much time there. So, you know, one thing uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget, it was, it was actually a personnel related issue. We had, um, you know, an individual that was passionate, but the way they went about it was, um, you know, inappropriate to the point where, you know, we lost some really good talent. And especially when that person was a key person, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, an, uh, a new frontline staff. This was a, you know, core individual. Um, you really um, try to look the other way and try to find ways to, you know, keep them intact. And, and it's especially when you have organizations where your curriculum program, everything you do um, is revolves around them. So in that experience, not to just, you know, not to bore everybody, you know, we had someone who was very, very talented, you know, certainly the patients loved loved him, um, but the culture that he was developing amongst our staff was just extremely toxic to the point where no matter what he would do, um, it, it just would not ever lead to a good experience for the patients because then downstream, we had other support and very, very important uh, pay, uh, um, you know, employees that were not happy leaving and there were many gaps in our ability to provide services. So I found that, you know, really quick then uh, that number one, you can't develop organizations and or cricket, cl- uh, clinical product around individuals. It's probably the worst thing you can do. Um, you have to have a more structured foundation uh, to the point where someone else can certainly come in and pick it up. And that was something that I didn't really catch quick enough and lost a lot of talented people. And, um, you know, once we found it out, we certainly, you know, replaced that individual and, uh, you know, doubled down on our philosophy that we can't, you know, build uh, programs around individuals. We have to build it around teams. And we found uh, people that understand that philosophy, understand my views and my aspirations to develop, um, you know, a very sound culture. Um, and that's what we had to do. But it was a, it was a very hard experience because, like I said, you know, finding people that are extremely passionate about this about this space um, is very hard. About substance abuse, mental health, behavioral health, it's very difficult. So um, to lose individuals like that and because of, uh, you know, poor leadership at the location and not being able to see it was something that, you know, I, I promise I would never do again. And so, you know, I made it my job to be extremely transparent with people, to build relationships with everyone in my organization uh, from the frontline uh, tech uh, residential technician uh, to the executive directors. Everyone is equally uh, part of this uh, and everyone has to have the, the buy-in and, um, and, and understand what we're trying to accomplish. So that's something that now I, I make sure that I do all the time. Yeah, thanks for sharing that example. You know, it's so hard and it's something that took me a while to learn as a leader too because, I mean, maybe you're soft-hearted or maybe that person's a high performer. Like I would see it all the time in sales teams, right? Where that person brings in a lot of admissions or a lot of revenue, but they're killing the team and they're killing the culture. And like you, I've learned that even though I can't measure culture, right? I think that's where a lot of executives get stuck is because there's no way to measure culture. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the, the outcomes um, from it is just so far above and beyond what you can get with individual performers, e- even if it's a high performer that has to be let go. You know, every turnaround I've done is is culture, right? I go in these days and it's like, how do I rebuild the culture? And that's hard, but yeah. So I really appreciate that example because I think it speaks to the heart. Uh, I think another specific question that I had, that I think maybe uh, listeners would be interested in is, so you mentioned, you know, kind of back in the beginning that when you were going through the turnaround process, you had to make some difficult decisions and, you know, cut off some non-performing pieces or pieces that maybe you just weren't um, experts at. Um how, how did you specifically make that decision? What were you looking at that said, okay, this facility here isn't working for us. We should let this go. Cause that's a difficult decision to make. Right. Um, I mean, it, it's always going to be a combination of more of the obvious aspects of financials, right? That's one. 
But then two, it's about what other services are already being provided there locally. And locally is the key. Um, so when we were in markets where we didn't have the, the structure, uh, the focus, if you will, uh, to try to make it work. And instead, we're just looking at the dollar aspect of it and saying, well, hey, yeah, this can be a good business. We can we can make the revenue make sense. But we weren't committed to, you know, to really understand the community, understand the needs um, and then be a partner uh, in that effort uh, to provide the services we were offering. Um, so, you know, looking at that, uh, that really helped. Um, you know, we look at, you know, the time over the last maybe five, six years, there's been a lot of boom in, in certain markets, uh, specifically like if we were looking at Colorado. Uh, we were there. We were in Colorado. There were so many other treatment providers that were just consolidating the market, and they were invested. They had teams over there, headquarters over there, um, homegrown there, um, and we weren't. We were in multiple different states, and we we just we did. We did just enough, you know, to, to get by and, and have a have a meaningful business, but we didn't really understand the market and the needs and the shifts that were occurring. Um, you know, when I got in there, that's really important for me to really understand my market, my community, and why do we do what we do um, in a respective place. And, and I found that, you know, in our Colorado uh, market, we just weren't invested. Uh, we, we certainly had services. They did great. We had great employees. They, they were very talented, very capable. But the the corporate philosophy was not geared towards um, doing and taking the necessary steps uh, to be successful in that market. And in fact, it was more of a reactionary approach as opposed to you know being proactive and saying strategically, let's look out where do we want to be a year from now. What do we need to do today to make sure that that's possible? And so I would say that we were a little bit too late to the dance, a little bit, little part of it. And, you know, the amount of effort to really go in there and turn that ship really was not worth it because we missed that opportunity. Uh, the previous leadership did not do it at the right time. Um, and, and if we were going to try to do it at that at that point, we would just be, you know, against the grain the entire time because there's just so many other great providers that were already there providing good services. And so for us, it was, it was for me, I would say it was, it was pretty much a no-brainer to make that pivot uh, because we saw a better opportunity to put our resources in places where we could be invested. We had the stronghold and the footing to really grow and develop something that would be create uh, creative. Um, so that, you know, that, I would say that the financial aspect of it, understanding, like I said, what the market needs, uh, you know, part of against what we are offering. Uh, and then ultimately, how much effort do we want to put into it? How much resource, how much capital do we want to put into, you know, to a respective location? And so that was a decision to really make those, um, you know, swift uh, decisions. Um, and I, And I think they were great because in the end, um, you know, like I said, we got them to a provider that is now still providing great and exceptional care. Um, and uh, the community really, you know, loves it. So that, that to me is important. Yeah. You know, it's something interesting. I'm interested to hear your comments on it, but like philosophically, I think where, where we come from, um, when we're looking at this space or anything else is that, that comment that you made about, what are you good at and what can you excel at providing? You know, what are your knowledge sets? What are your skill sets? I feel like a lot of organizations, um, addiction treatment or otherwise, try and look for the opportunity. They say, okay, where is where are the contracts? Where is the potential money, right? Or addiction treatment in general. A lot of people seem to need it, so we should open up a facility. But I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I don't think you should start a business or a facility, you know, whatever it is, based on the potential opportunity. I think you should build it based on what you're good at. And then also right. obviously try and match it with some opportunity. But I, I think studying there first. And I'm just kind of curious about your thoughts on that perspective. Yeah, I, I would. I agree with everything you said. But also I would add to that is I think a lot of providers I've seen in this space they tend to open up shop and then try to make sense, try to make revenue out of it. Right. Right. Instead of doing that. Yeah. Instead of doing that market analysis, looking at your stakeholders, who your referral partners are and, you know, 
truly just asking them, what are the services that you have today that you like? And what are the services that you don't have today that you would really love to see? And I think if you pinpoint that question and understand the what they want to see in order to make their community a lot stronger, more successful, to make the engagement um, you know greater, th- those are important steps you know that you need to take. And and those are steps that we've taken as we've looked at you know going into markets for our outpatient treatment centers. Um, it's looking at you know okay if we're going to be working with sober homes, we're going to be working with other residential partners or hospitals, you know, what are the engagements that you have today and which ones are good and then which ones are not so good and why? And truly doing that market research and looking at the softer side of business, if you will, because that's what people tend to not really look at. They want to look at the financial stuff. You know, they want to look at, well, look up my models. They say I can make a million in EBITDA and, <laughs> yeah. and that's that. But if you don't really understand the market and understand the people, the stakeholders, the people that are going to lead to, frankly, your success, then you're, you're going about it backwards. And, um, and then I think there's also an element of, you know, looking at payers, they're a big stakeholder, obviously, financially, they, most payer, uh, most providers today take insurance. So looking at how do you align your business objectives with something they're not seeing? Those are ways that we go into it where we're not going to assume or say, oh, we're better than we're the best thing on earth, and we're we're the best provider in this community. We don't want to go about it that way. We would rather look at, well, here was an opportunity where there was a gap, and we creatively looked at developing a team and an organization to solve that need and fill that void. Um, and those are you know ways that I would say are, are probably a little bit smarter to approach it, as opposed to just looking at your financial forecast and saying, I can make a million dollars. Because if, if you really think of this industry as, well, I can just make a million dollars, then I, it's not, that's not the way to approach it. We're, we're, we're really changing lives and we have an opportunity to be a solution um, you know, for such a horrible um, you know, disease. And so, yeah, while it's important to financially be successful, you have to ultimately, you know, figure out what is what is the driver and if it is really about providing care that is second to none and um and does you know provide something meaningful for the patients and the families and the communities um then you know you got to focus on that that's the most important part as opposed to just you know looking at the dollar signs i would say yeah yeah definitely a couple of comments there you know one it can't be empty words like you have to actually be really good at it and we, we just see that so often where we go in and people say that well we're the best or we're the best in this area or we're world class or whatever but it's empty words and i have never seen it be successful you know i right. have seen it you know work for a minute here or there especially if there's no competition in the area but eventually it just crashes and burns usually sooner rather than later so you can't have empty words. You actually have to be good at what you're doing. Right. I think around the finances, I see that with a lot of the the money that comes into the space, especially the smaller money, you know, the, the private investors or the real small funds or someone opened up a local facility that just thought that, hey, there's a lot of opportunity in this space and I can somehow capitalize on that opportunity. I've never seen those work. I've seen a lot of frustration. I've seen a lot of anger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more anger. I yeah. <laughs> right. You know, because it just doesn't yeah. work out. You know, you can't just walk into an opportunity and then build it. And then we'll see that with those kinds of providers. Like we were actually just dealing with one where their constant comment was, well, what do people want? We'll build that. You know, do they need trauma right now? We'll find trauma providers. Are they looking for dual diagnosis? We'll, we'll find dual diagnosis. And again, I've never seen that work. It's just, you can't just see the opportunity and then build for it. You have to be really good at it. You have to find out what your organizational Absolutely. strengths are, your team strengths are, and then talk to the stakeholders and see where there is complementary overlap, right? And that's what right. makes a successful organization. And, and that's that's a, a big shift, I think, for a lot of people. They don't look at it that way. And if they did, I think they would be more successful, like you guys have been. I agree. And and it's it's um it's not easy though too. It's it's not easy. Sometimes you want to, you know, pull the trigger on growing and doing and being the biggest and the baddest. But you know, I think you know, 
there are some providers that have also grown too fast, right? And I think you know we've we've heard we've all heard that story. I was at one of the stories, so you know, and it, and it maybe took away from really what they uh, really had in mind, and they did have some kind of clinical product that was really special and unique, but they didn't give it enough time to foster it and then grow it. And so that's you know it's important you know in understanding that the human capital, the talent that you're able to develop, the clinical outcomes, like that product is something that is not easy to create, um, you know, and you have to balance that. And that has to be something that's important and objective, uh, you know, as an organization's you know, views are um, to foster that and to make sure that that's growing, investing in their continued education, all of those things. Um, are absolutely imperative you know, for you to be able to get you know the kind of product that you want, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard because it takes time and it takes patience, which is not something this field is known for. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good thing I'm a patient guy. I'm a very patient guy. So, yeah. Right. You know, I yeah. I just put up a, yeah. a small comment on LinkedIn the other day, but you know, I do a lot of investing, um, and there was a study that they did on the the top 10% of financial managers over the past decade. You know, so entire 10 year period. And they found out that the top 10% that had the best returns that beat the market for all of their clients over that period, all had three years somewhere in that 10 year period where they were in the bottom 25% of performance for that year. Wow. And that was just really, uh, I think, impactful. Uh, and it just speaks a lot to the way that I look at business. And I think the way that successful business works is there, there are bumps and there are ups and downs. And when you build well for the long haul, you come out with superior results. Absolutely. But that means that there is going to be this longer timeline, right? Where it wasn't like you were the best for a year. Because you see all these people, they were the best for a year and then they, they fell off the charts, right? Whereas right. <laughs> these guys, you know, kept it going for a decade plus right. with the bumps in the road. And that's what I see with the really good organizations across the board is they have that long-term approach. Right. And that's what we're, we're really, you know, pushing for and we understand that we have to be focused and um you know there's a lot of great providers that are in our space there there really are and um you know we we really look to a lot of different providers and learn a lot from them and and ultimately are inspired by someone as well so it's it, it's it's an exciting time to be in this space um it it really is still as um fruitful i think um not only you know on the success side, on the financial side, but also on the ability to uh, provide a service that so many people do truly need. Um, and, and it's just finding that balance of, you know, how to communicate, connect with um, your population that you're serving, um, and then developing a product that they ultimately will like and, you know, share the word on. Yeah. You know, and I think Shadow Mountain Story mirrors that, right? Like you just talked about having to close down some facilities, but how much did you guys learn from that experience and how much, how formative was it in where you are today, you know? Oh, so, so informative. And, you know, I, I think I would not have, I think that we all, if I were to ask everyone in the organization, they would say, wow, that's been a crazy heck of a ride, but I'm glad we did it together. And, and then that, and being together was the, the more important part because we learned a lot of, you know, some bad choices, bad decisions but learn from them and ultimately understand how and what not to do uh, to move forward and be successful. Yeah. Yeah. And God, that team part, you know, of having an experienced team, that's not just experience in the field, but experience with your particular organization. I've just come more and more to see how valuable that is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Tenure is important, especially in this space, because there's oftentimes a lot of people kind of jump around um, and, you know, they, they tend to chase, the dollar, I, I feel. And so we've really tried to build an experience and an environment for people where, you know, we're, we're competitive, you know, but we, that's not all they're here for. You know, they're here because they feel that they value every day that they come into work and they feel that we are investing in them. We try to give people opportunity for uh, growth. Um, and ultimately the way that I approach you know, our teams, and this is not only at the executive level, it's, it's at the, you know, the front line facing uh, level, is that we ultimately want to be a training institution to, um, you know, build the, the leaders of tomorrow. And, and ultimately, you know, people come in that are techs and they're like, you know, 
I really want to be a therapist one day. And if we can get them, you know, some training to become a peer support worker and then get LCDC or, and then ultimately they're leaving us to say, Hey, I, I finished my, my, um, you know, I'm going through my master's program and now I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go and get some hours like that to me is a win. And, and if we can find ways to really inspire people to be in this space, because we need more providers, we need really dedicated and passionate providers. That's something that we tried to do um, for our frontline staff to just make this an environment where they feel they uh, appreciate it, appreciate it, but also that they have growth to a point where you know when it's time to leave, we're going to support them as we did on the way in, on the way out, and just make sure that we are advocates for them and and ultimately partner with them in the future. That's great. Well, I know we're coming up on time here, but um, just kind of a couple of questions to finish up. I think one, you know, a simple one, but maybe just talk about daily habits. You know, you talked about checking your KPIs every day, but what are some daily habits that either you do specifically in your role or, or maybe even in, even in your personal life has helped you be successful? Sure. Um, you know, I think um, I, I'm involved in organizations outside of, of this space that are just more geared towards uh, just leadership. You know, I, um, I'm in the American College of Health Executives, and that's been very helpful for me um, just to see other health healthcare executives, be able to have uh, the mentorship and, um, and just the, you know, the, the peer support um, to understand some of the challenges. Even though we're in a different uh, space, you know, substance abuse, we deal with all the same things. Payers are always at the top. Uh, so, you know, having... Having, uh, you know, having that community to really support me and give me different, uh, you know, just different uh, fo- focus points and different perspectives is very helpful for me. Uh, another thing uh, that I always teach to my, uh, you know, my team is self-care is the best care. And so we have to make sure that we take care of ourselves. I do that quite a bit. Um, I do a lot of meditation daily, um, make sure that I'm, you know, physically uh, capable uh, to weather the storm, love the gym, you know, and, and making sure that um, I'm living, you know, how I'm, I'm preaching. So, you know, we really want our uh, clients to address their mental health, their, um, their physical health, their nutritional health um, and physical health. Right. So, and, and that, that's something that we also embody and I try to embody as well. Um, so that's, you know, that's one uh, thing that I do. And then, you know, I always try to connect with my key leaders um, every day and just not just talking business, you know, really understanding how they are, um, understanding what they're going through. And that allows us to all be in sync. And it's it's a family. You know, the truth is we spend more time with the people we work with in many cases than the people that we are at home with. I have, you know, a wife and a little three-year-old, two-year-old. Uh, so, you know, but, you know, it's important for me to be in sync with my team, um, not only about business and having times where we can just go out to lunch, uh, really connect. Um, you know, that's that's important to me. And it allows us to build the trust, um, you know, that I, that I said that is important because I don't micromanage. I have very capable people, very talented people in their roles. Um, and, you know, there is a godsend to have you know a team, you know, like I have. And that's what really makes the difference, I would say. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think I would just comment I would make, you know, working with you personally is the um, the fact that you don't micromanage, but you are on top of everything all the time. <laughs> which is yeah, impressive. yeah. I know what's going on. I didn't say I didn't know what's going on. Right. I know what's going on. But yeah. yes, I don't I, I don't tell people what they need to do. But if there is some kind of, you know, we have all the systems in place to make sure that I have visibility of everything that occurs um, in this organization. Um, and you know, of course no one's perfect. Uh, and we make sure that not only am I able to check them, they're able to check me. And so there's the same kind of, my, my team will come to me and tell me, Hey man, you messed up on something. And, and I love that. That's great. You know? And so, you know, we'll have, you know, you know, that open, um, you know, dialogue and, you know, personal accountability to ensure that we are ultimately successful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just always impressed how on top of everything you are. So, that's Thank it. you. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts? Um, anything that you wanted to kind of bring up that we weren't able to cover? You know, I, I'll always say this. I say this every single time. This space is, man, it's been through a lot. It's been through a lot. And I know that, you know, oftentimes it seems that everything is against us, you know, from payers, from, you know, marketing changes uh, with, you know, how we advertise. 
uh, there's so many things that are against us. But, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that this space is needed. And while there are very few people that are bad actors, um, it's important for us as leaders, as respective leaders in our organizations, uh, to lead by example and, you know, make sure that we aren't doing the right thing and um, not to be too proud. Uh, to call out when we didn't make the right decision. And, and I think that's important. I'm inspired by this space. I, I, um, I always make it a point you know, to really see what we do. Sometimes I just show up when I'm traveling to locations and I get to just see the, the, the happy faces and the patients. And they may not even know me if I'm just like cruising in real quick. And, and that's always great. And just being able to talk and see, you know, what kind of experience. And I think it's important for us as leaders, um, to lead and obviously, you know, make sure with our team on the front line that they have the support and they understand what your mission, vision, and values are for your organization. And I think if we understand that and we couple that with, unfortunately, having to navigate this very, um, oftentimes, sometimes, I guess, chaotic environment, I think we'll, we'll, we'll come out on the other side. And I think it's, you know, just to understand that this space is uh, doing amazing work um, we, we, we have so many people that need the help and it's just amazing that, um, we're able to, you know, as a collective of organizations, be able to change so many lives that that's, some, that's something I just want to make sure I leave off with. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things that keeps me in the space. You know, I tell people all the time, <laughs> sometimes it's crazy and it gets to you, but, yeah. uh, it pulls you back, <laughs> it pulls you back in. It does. It does. <laughs> and I love it. It certainly does. But it's it's beautiful, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Manny, if um people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to, to contact you or Shadow Mountain? Perfect. Yeah, so um they can contact me uh, personally at um, Manny at ShadowMountainRecovery.com. If it's just a general inquiry, if you have anyone that's in need of help, um, our admissions line is eight hundred two zero three eight two four nine. Fantastic. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. That was great. And for everyone out there, we'll see you next time.